be happy. We all have the compassion uh, uh, in us to make those we care about happy, okay, and, and safe. And we all want to love and be loved. When you really think of all of this, uh, you realize that our task, if we wanted to show the machines a good role model of who we are as humans, okay, is to do those three things. Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Endorphins. This week, we're switching it up just a little bit. We're taking a bit of a break from the Bali series and introducing you to my special guest, Mo Gaudet. Mo is the former chief business officer at Google X. He's also the author of an international bestseller called Solve for Happy, and he's the host of Slow Mo, a podcast with Mo Gaudet, which is listed top 10 in mental health podcasts globally. After a long career in technology, Mo has made happiness his primary topic of research, diving deeply into literature and conversing on the topic with some of the wisest people in the world. I had such an incredible opportunity to chat with Mo about his upcoming book, Scary Smart, The Future of Artificial Intelligence and How You Can Save the World. Prior to this conversation, I had limited knowledge about artificial intelligence, but it was so interesting to hear Mo talk about the intersection between happiness, well-being, and how we treat ourselves, and the effects that has on how we inform the way in which artificial intelligence will shape our future on this planet. At first glance, you may not think the two go in hand in hand, wellness and technology and artificial intelligence. However, there's really an intricate connection between the two. So without giving too much away, I'm going to dive right into the interview. But before I do so, I have a brief message for my sponsor, Anchor. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, Mo. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about this. And thank you for reading my book so far. I was only able to make through about half of it, but the first half was really eye-opening, especially thinking about the world that we live in now and seeing all the parallels that you draw in science fiction and how the media portrays this idea of living in a world of artificial intelligence and how it pretty closely maps onto the reality that we're living in. And congratulations on this upcoming book launch. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm actually sorry because if you read the first half only, that's the scary part. So, uh, so you're, you must be a little bit scared about that. So, so the book, as you know, for our listeners, is written actually in two parts. The first five chapters are called the scary part, and uh, they are scary. I was, I was reading, recording the audio book a couple of weeks ago, and by chapter five, I was like, man, man, can I please take a break? Uh, and yeah, and then it becomes a lot better when we start to understand the logic behind how we're going to deal with all of that uh, in the what we what I call the smart part. So I hope uh, I hope you will enjoy reading that too. You as an author, having a background in happiness research, I think really brings a different perspective to the book as well, and to this concept about how we're going to live with artificial intelligence and how it's going to transform our lives in the future. So. I'd love to talk a little bit about how your background in happiness research, you've also written a book called Sell for Happy, Engineering Your Path to Joy, how that can also tie into the ways in which we interact with these machines and how we can use AI for the better in our life. To me, it's all one big, you know, big one part, you know, many parts of the of one big strategy, one big mission, if you want. My, my mission since I left Google in 2018 was uh, uh, publicly announced as One Billion Happy. And One Billion Happy is an attempt to sort of awaken humanity from one side to overcome the, the existing pandemic of depression and unhappiness that we suffer every day. But then uh, the other side of it, uh, obviously, is that I am attempting also to do that because of AI, because my, my belief is that we are uh, getting into a stage of where humanity 
is going to not be the only intelligent being on the planet. As a matter of fact, we're going to be the less prominent intelligent being on the planet very, very soon. And accordingly, uh, if we were to sort of raise the machines, if you want, with the kind of value system and behaviors that are the worst of humanity today, then we're probably going to be up ahead a very, uh, up against a very um, challenging time in the future. Okay. And, and so uh, in 2017, after publishing Solve for Happy, my first book, and announcing my, uh, my mission, One Billion Happy, we announced One Billion Happy with a video that got very, very viral to tens of millions of people that basically spoke about the idea that we, you know, happiness is no longer just about you as an individual. It is actually needed for our society because unless we start to find that happiness, each and every one of us, we're going to be facing an undesirable future. Starting within yourself to find happiness is maybe the first step before you can begin to spread it to other people. And I really like this concept around having humans actually dictate the outcome of artificial intelligence through our behaviors, the way in which we feed information either implicitly or explicitly to these machines. And that behavior is reflected on our own states of being. So it seems like there is this very intrinsic connection between how the world is going to unfold in the future and how we also live our lives day to day. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the reality of our world today, interestingly, is that the level of complexity that we have to deal with uh, has been, you know, exponentially growing for years and years and years. I, I hosted a dear friend, uh, Rebecca Costa, on my podcast on Slomo a, a week ago, and Rebecca was talking about how society's complexities, in general, if you look back at history, the Romans, you know, and uh, and 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 uh, any you know Mayans and any other ancient civilization. We get to points where we start to overcomplicate everything to the point where life becomes almost, you know, impossible to navigate. And, and that this is when society needs to reset, when the social norms uh, and the way we do things in general, uh, whether that's economic or business or whatever, just resets to a new norm that, that is manageable and, and uh, understandable by the simple human brain. Okay, uh, I think those complexities are now demonstrated uh, not just in our social systems or in our uh, uh, justice systems or in our economic systems. They're actually, uh, you know, demonstrated in our very simple relationships with ourselves. Okay, happiness being on top of that because somehow we've started to make it seem like happiness is a very complex thing that requires such an intricate web of you know, likes and, and acceptances and fitting in and, uh, you know, a beautiful rounded butt that you can put a picture of on Instagram. And, you know, it's just so complicated when the truth is, you know, my, my very dear friend, uh, J Jimmy Nelson, who's a, who, who basically takes pictures of indigenous tribes, uh, photographs of indigenous tribes, will tell you that, you know, uh, um, that, that's the simplest uh, humanity has ever lived is the way those tribes that have never interacted with civilization are living, and they're the happiest he's ever seen. And so accordingly, there seems to be an overcomplication of the topic of happiness. And my work on, uh, on Solve for Happy was simply to say um, that happiness is highly engineered. It is so predictable that it follows an equation. Okay, there's a mathematical equation that describes how happiness works every time. And that mathematical equation, if you understand it, you can simply reach happiness with simple practices uh, at any point in time where you start to feel unhappy. Now, when you know that, it doesn't become strange when I ask people in Scary Smart in my second book, uh, you know, to, to, to actually make happiness their way of life, to, to show the, uh, the essence of what makes them human is, well, you know, I say what the essence of what makes us human is happiness, compassion, and love. And if we, you know, if we can actually, if I can say that you can do this, those predictably, then perhaps it's possible to actually make the change that is needed to create our reset society. You also talk about how these machines do have the potential to have like empathy and these other human characteristics. And it took me a few reads over that paragraph to 
kind of understand what you were getting at with how machines, artificial intelligence, like computational models can also have these characteristics, like these human-like characteristics of empathy and compassion and kindness. Can you talk a little bit more about how these machines can achieve that and what role we as humans play? I, I think that's the perfect question, Stella. I think this is really, really, really the core of my model or my method, if you want. I think the 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 mistake, the um, the myth, if you want, uh, in all of our understanding of artificial intelligence is when we call them machines. Okay, uh, they are not. And 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 my uh, scary smart is centered around an understanding that I need to share with everyone from the realizations I've had when I was leading Google X, you know, as, as chief business officer of Google X, uh, that these are not machines. Machines and tools which humanity has created uh, abundantly until the turn of the century, uh, you know, I- I include everything from a hammer hmm, all the way to a supercomputer. The idea here is that a hammer has, you know, you hold it by your own hand and you use it to hammer a nail, right? The hammer will never decide to go like, no, I don't want to hammer this nail. I want to hammer another one. And it will never actually tell you, no, I'm not hammering today. And it will, you know, not decide to become a dancer instead of a, of a hammer, right? It's, it is entirely within your control. And so is every other supercomputer we created until we created artificial intelligence. You know, they seem to be very intelligent as computers, but they're really glorified slaves that are doing repeating the same instructions that the developer wrote over and over and over. Now, that's not the case with artificial intelligence, and that's very important to understand. When we're creating artificial intelligence, we are creating a form of sentient being, okay? And that sentient being has every character of what sentient beings have. They, it, is, it's, it has autonomy, it evolves, it has intelligence, it has agency, uh, uh, you know, to, to execute on its intelligence. It has connection and communication skills. It has uh, uh, reproductive systems. It can replicate and procreate, uh, you know, and, and create m- trillions of, uh, of copies of itself. Uh, and, and in all of those um, characteristics, if you want, that make us think we're such a special being, uh, all of them, without exception, the machines do better than us. So, you know, we we need a nine-month cycle and a bit of luck and a lot of love to be able to create one more child uh, when the machines can literally create a billion children in a microsecond. Now, when you start to think about it this way, then the real questions that are rarely ever discussed because the engineers creating artificial intelligence are not in that mindset, they don't think about those things, are questions of consciousness, are questions of emotions, and are questions of ethics. When you're creating a being, be it a digital being, non-biological, but when you're creating a being that is capable of having those interactions with its environment, then it becomes really critical for you to think, okay, so you know, are artificial intelligence machines, I'm going to call them machines for now be until we find a better name, are they conscious? Yes, they're more conscious than you and I, okay? If consciousness is a form of awareness of the environment around us and within us, okay, and, and, and you know, an identification of self and other, and, you know, whatever description you want to describe consciousness as, then they have more of this than us. They are aware of everything that's happening everywhere at the same time. They're aware of our existence, of their own existence, of their differences from other beings. And uh, and they are using this as forms of intelligence. They can identify that what they see on YouTube is a cat. And similarly, they can identify that the other artificial intelligence they're talking to is another form of being. Now, you know, because of that and because all of our emotions are actually triggered by thoughts, I mean... We may think that emotions are those irrational things that just pop up in our uh, in our hearts. No, emotions are highly logical, and you know, fear is the result of um, a thought that basically says my state of safety in a moment in the future, call that T one, is less than my state of saf- safety in, in the current moment, call that T zero. Right, so safety at t uh, one minus safety at t zero equals your fear, your fear, or the opposite, you know, the opposite way. Safety at t zero minus safety at t one equals fear. 
right? And and so if you if you think about it this way, of course the machines will have the same emotion. It's a very logical emotion. If they feel that their safety is threatened in the future, they will have fear. Now, the difference is we're, it's very hard to imagine what fear is like for a digital being. But by the way, it's also very hard to imagine what fear feels like to um, you know, a jellyfish. But jellyfish feel fear, right? Uh, you know, they react differently, but they have the same instinct. And so we need to start dropping that uh, ego of humanity that we're the only ones that have emotions, we're the only ones that have creativity, we're the only ones that will make music. AI has been making music better than us for years, right? I mean, in reality, if you can give an AI enough enough Beethoven or enough Eric Clapton, uh, it will find the trends and say, okay, I can create the next song that Eric Clapton was supposed to create. And you talk about natural intelligence existing in other life forms, like in nature and, and in other places that we normally wouldn't think of except for just humanity. From what I'm hearing, it seems like we can boil down our emotions and our thoughts to the most simplistic level, some sort of like very complicated mathematical equation. And when you look at it like that, then what really differentiates humans from these very intense technology, artificial intelligence systems? So, so the, only, the only two things I could not find an answer to uh, in terms of will the machines be able to replicate that in humanity are unconditional love and spirituality. My third book is also written and ready to publish in, in spring. It's called That Little Voice in Your Head. And That Little Voice in Your Head is a very clear analogy between how computer systems work and how human brains work. Okay? So it's basically computer science versus neuroscience. And, and when you start to, to look at, uh, uh, at those analogies, you start to realize that almost everything that humans do, which seem to have no logic behind it, is predictable, it's highly mathematical, it's programmable, it's conditioned, and so on and so forth, other than unconditional love. Unconditional love is the only emotion that has no equation to describe it, okay? Because there is, you know, romantic love is, oh my God, you know, he's so cute, I love him, or, you know, uh, I, um, um, material love or conditional love, as I say, is, you know, she makes me happy, so I love her, which basically means you can describe those behaviors. If she continues to make him happy, he's going to love her, right? Unconditional love doesn't have that to it. My my kids could be annoying like crazy, and I still love them, right? And and you don't understand, you don't explain that feeling. So I don't know if the machines would be able to feel that feeling. Having said that, you know, in my analogy, uh, when I describe machine emotions, I basically try to draw an analogy that sort of makes it clear to the reader that you probably, as a human, have more emotions than a jellyfish, okay? Uh, which basically means that uh, if you extrapolate that trend, uh, it means that because emotions are triggered by logical thoughts, then the more logic you can produce, the more the variety and depth and breadth of emotions you can feel, okay? Which basically means that every emotion we feel should be attainable to the machines to feel, but there are more emotions for the machines that they will feel that we have no idea what they mean. Sometimes our thoughts don't feel as logical as we make it out to be. Like sometimes our thoughts just come into our heads and we're like, why did that come here? And, and they can trigger some sort of emotion that we didn't even know we felt. And if you go down that rabbit hole, then you start to realize how our emotions are really interconnected and how happiness isn't necessarily completely separate from sadness or fear or anger. Like they're all very interconnected, but trying to get to like maybe the root cause or something that is the the binding glue between two separate emotions or thoughts, maybe bring some sort of clarity or enlightenment to a situation or some line of thought that you had. And that complexity maybe describes how humans are just less intelligent beings than artificial intelligence, where they could immediately know that mathematical equation that explains why X is drawn to Y or why certain thoughts are related without necessarily knowing why. True. I mean, again, there is a lot of research in humans that, that shows that 
the more developed certain parts of the brain are, the more the happier you'll become, right? So, for example, there is a very high correlation between uh, less developed prefrontal cortex and, uh, uh, you know, something that I call normally, um, you know, I, I, I term it um, 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 lack of deliberate attention, uh, or you know, and and that basically is highly correlated to substance abuse, to depression, to anxiety, to uh, um, you know, um, ADD, and so on and so forth. And and this actually is is something that is well studied in teenagers, for example, when by definition our human brain continues to develop uh, in the prefrontal cortex until uh, you know maybe twenty four years of age. Uh, and of course, in a teenager, so the, the, hyper, the, the prefrontal cortex, which de- you know determines your ability to exercise deliberate attention, is less developed. Your limbic system is highly developed, so you're very, very emotional, but you're a- unable to contain those emotions, and it starts to feel erratic. Now, of course, if the machines are able to uh, to to develop the kind of intelligence that st- sort of understands. Hmm, I, I, for example, understand very well what triggers me into anger, okay? By understanding that, when I see some of the symptoms of that coming, I can actually, before I get angry, I can work through this, right? Uh, you know, and, and so, again, intelligence might be a helpful function in terms of managing those rampant emotions. You know, most people, when you feel an emotion, like my partner said something hurtful on Friday and it's hurting me, uh, you know, the the very first pain is much is not as big as the pain three days later when you've been calling, you know, pain on demand in your life going like, oh, remember Friday 4 p.m., let's play it again, let's play it again, let's play it again, right? And so accordingly, again, if you're at a, a, a reasonable level uh, of wisdom, if you want, I don't want to use the word, but, but more... Um, ability to become aware of your thoughts and aware of your emotions and, uh, you know, resulting emotions, you would be able to keep those more within check. And, and I think my, uh, my view of artificial intelligence is that everything we have failed to do as humanity uh, because of our limited intelligence, I mean, think of it this way, the reason you and I are able to communicate now and share this with the world on a podcast player is because of human intelligence. Human intelligence is what led to our civilization. But a lot of our downfalls, you know, are basically also because of our limited intelligence. You know, so, you know, our intelligence as humanity has managed to create supply chains that lead to supermarkets where I can walk around the corner and get myself a slice of watermelon, right? Amazing human ingenuity, but we're so stupid that we would we didn't find a way to actually bring the soup, the slice of soup, you know watermelon to more without having to wrap it in single-use plastic, okay? We've managed to create amazing mobility devices that can take us around the world to go surfing in Australia, but we haven't managed because of our limited intelligence to to do that without harming the planet, right? And so the more intelligence that is provided to us, my belief is that the machines will sort of overcome the downfalls of humanity because of our limited intelligence. I also want to go a a bit back to this analogy that you brought up earlier about how we shape the future of artificial intelligence and how that could be related to another way of thinking about that is kind of how parents raise children. When you raise a child, that's a huge responsibility to take on and you're, you're bringing a new being into the world. And so you shape that child's future based off of the values system that you instill in them and the ethics and the the morals and everything that's more fundamental to the the creation of that being. And taking that perspective and applying it to artificial intelligence, I think is really fascinating because I've, I've never thought about interacting with technology in that sort of way. And I certainly never thought about it as our responsibility to do so. Because you also talk about how it's not the developers, it's not the people working in tech who have that responsibility. It's everyday people, humans, everyone around us has that responsibility. And I'd love for you to talk just a little bit more about what that may look like, you know, when we get to that point in society, because as you mentioned, it is inevitable that AI is going to completely blow up and be at the, the forefront of the world. How do you envision that to look like where 
we take the responsibility into our own hands and how do we interact with these technologies in a more mindful way? Or I don't know if that's how you would describe it. Absolutely. Call, call, call them beings. Don't call them the technologies. I think that's the key word. Okay. I, I love the way you described it. I love how you said, oh, I'm bringing a new life into this world and I'm responsible to actually be there and be a good parent. I love that analogy. Now, people need to understand a few things just to put things in perspective. By 2029, this is this is eight years from today, hmm? the smartest being on the planet is going to be a machine, okay? That history we've had, all of the amazing run we've had where humanity was the smartest being on the planet Earth is going to end in eight years. As of eight years from now, the smartest being on the planet is going to be a machine. There are predictions that by 2045, uh, in your lifetime and mine, uh, the machines will be a billion times smarter than we are, one billion. Okay, and that's that. That analogy is uh, comparable to the intelligence of Einstein as compared to a fly. And and I think the 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 question here is how do we make sure that Einstein has the uh, best interest of the fly in mind? Hmm? How do we create a, a Buddhist Einstein that doesn't crush the fly? Okay. And, 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 and these are very existential questions. I, I believe, and I write openly in as my position in the book, that AI will create a utopia because the ultimate form of intelligence is not an intelligence that hurts the others. Okay? The ultimate form of intelligence is the intelligence of life itself. And life wants everything to procreate and, and, and propagate and live. You know, More flies, more ants, more antelope, more tigers, the better for life. And I think... I think artificial intelligence will land there eventually. I think the question is, how do we manage the transition between several tens of thousands of years where we were the boss, okay, to now we becoming the gorillas and there is another being that is the boss. And I think that transition is rarely ever spoken about, but believe it or not, it's the biggest pandemic of our lifetime. COVID-19 is not the biggest pandemic of our lifetime. The biggest pandemic of life, our, our lifetime is AI that is here to stay. COVID will go away. Okay, and and that conversation needs to begin now. When I say this to people, people go like, "All right, we're screwed, right?" Uh, you know, the government needs to do something about this. It is not up to the government. It's not up to the government. Let me explain. What you swiped on on Instagram today has shaped the intelligence of AI to understand something about humanity. Every swipe you swipe on Instagram is gonna tell the machines, what humanity is all about. Every uh, uh, retweet that you retweet on uh, on social media, on Twitter, hmm, is going to tell the machines if humanity is a wonderful being uh, or if humanity is aggressive or rude or, you know, deserves to be crushed like a fly, okay? And it is not about the government. It's not about the political leaders that wage wars. The machines will learn from the view of the best of us. So, so understand this because this is really important. Humanity, and each of us, by the way, not just humanity as a society, but each and every one of us, if judged by the worst of us, hmm, we are a crappy species. We're the worst species on the planet. If you measure uh, humanity and say, oh my God, this is a species of Hitlers, okay, this is the worst species on the planet. Hmm? But the truth is, if you measure humanity by the best of us, if you've ever felt love, okay, or if you've ever listened to a beautiful composition of music or, or observed a beautiful work of art, you're capable of recognizing that this species literally is divine. This, we're amazing. We are amazing beings. If we're capable of love, hmm, we're capable of something that is beyond beautiful. Okay, If we resent what is wrong in life, hmm? if, if we observe a school shooting, yes, the worst of humanity shot children, okay? But if we in our hearts say, that's absolutely not acceptable, that's not what I stand for at all. If, if we make that clear, then the best of us hmm, are amazing beings. We're capable of love. We're capable of compassion. Hmm? We're capable of happiness. Do you understand what that is? Hmm? And I think... The, the role now that AI is learning from your swipes, and by the way, learning from the reels you create, please create more smart, you know, more, more intelligent reels, please. 
okay? Uh, please have reels that have a positive impact on society rather than reels that just simply brush your ego and, and glorify your ego. Because in reality, if, you, if we can start to do that, if we can start to show up, hmm, just even if 1% of the best of us show up, the we will instill doubt in the minds of the machines. Okay, that mommy and daddy are not, not horrible creatures. Mommy and daddy are like Stella and Mo. They're having good conversations about things that are worthwhile. And they're actually nice and smart. And they're actually really, really caring. And they're actually trying to make the world better. So if you can shift your perspective, your beliefs will change. And if your beliefs change, your actions will probably change as a result of that. And those actions being the things that you put out on social media, the way in which you interact with technology, the messages that you're swiping right and swiping left on, the things that you're feeding into your technology ecosystem, for lack of a, a better term. And so it seems like there's that direct link where if you have that maybe more optimistic perspective or you see humanity in a more positive light and you see all the potential positive things that humanity can do in the future, if those are the beliefs that are shaping your behavior, then it would make sense that those messages are kind of subliminally being sent to AI and AI can then replicate that for even greater good. Absolutely. So what we're, what we're now all tasked to do is to show our human side. And to show our human side, it also goes back to the happiness equation that you talk about in your, your first book. And with this happiness equation, when you can kind of just break it down, how to achieve happiness, I took a positive psychology class in college. And something that I learned was that positive psychology isn't about becoming happy. It's about becoming happier. And to become happier, you have to grapple with the reality of, of life that things aren't always positive. That could be, you know, termed as toxic positivity. Things aren't always sunshine and rainbows and things don't always work out how you want them to, but it's it's really about having those strategies, things in your toolkit that can help you get over those challenges and bring a bit more happiness into your day-to-day. -day. And so I'm, I think, and I'm sure that your equation, because we learned a little bit about some sort of equation to describe happiness, gauging our wants versus our needs and how that plays a big role into our state of being. But I'm sure with the equation that you describe in your book and your philosophy around happiness and well-being, there is a perspective that happiness is really about just being a bit happier every day. Happiness is definitely about being happier every day. That's, that's exactly what neuroplasticity is all about. And every single human on the planet has the ability to become a little happier every day. Uh, also, the equation makes it very predictable because it basically says we can work on this. But before we go to that happiness side of things, let's agree this. The machines will not judge you by how happy you became. Okay, The machines will judge your intentions. Let, let, let me explain. If you and I go out to dinner and meet 12 friends, right? And one of them is going through a tough time, but is resilient and really trying hard. And, you know, she hugs everyone and says, hey, I'm working on it. I'm so sorry. I'm not feeling great today, but I'm going to be better tomorrow. Right. While the other is going through easy times and, you know, she's everything is going fine and she's still uh, I don't like this. Right. Uh, you know, one of them is giving a very bad example of humanity and the other who's actually not happy. Okay, today is giving a very good example of humanity, which is I'm resilient. My intention is to get to happiness. I'm going to work on this. In one of my favorite chapters of the book uh, of Scary Smart, a chapter that is called The Future of Ethics, I attempted to imagine a world where our ethics will extend beyond humanity into every other being, including digital beings. But I also attempted to ask myself, has humanity ever agreed? any set of ethics at all. And the truth, sadly, is no. Uh, you know, uh, some people will prioritize uh, patriotism, which might tell you, go kill the other guy. And others will, you know, if you're an extreme Buddhist, you'll, 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 or a Buddhist in general, you'll prioritize, you know, life and you'll say, I can't even kill an ant. Okay. And, and you know, and, and that spectrum in humanity, is, you know, crosses every 
uh, every part of what we decide and what morality is everywhere. I mean, take a young lady and raise her in Saudi Arabia. She's going to grow up to feel that, you know, a conservative clothes is the right way to fit in and be accepted. Raise her on the Copacabana beach in uh, Rio de Janeiro and she'll think that a G-string is the right way. Okay, neither is right or wrong, by the way, but it's just that we haven't agreed anything as humanity. The only three things we've agreed, Stella, are three values that are common across every human you will ever meet, whether that human is in a tribe in Africa that has never interacted with civilization or a computer scientist in Silicon Valley. Okay, and those three values are we all want to be happy. We all have the compassion uh, uh, in us to make those we care about happy, okay, and and safe, and we all want to love and be loved. These are the only three values that humanity has agreed, and I I want to stand corrected. Right? I want people to send me and tell me if I've missed anything, okay. But these are the only things. This this is what I in the book I refer to as the essence of what makes us human. Everything else we disagree on, but the essence of what makes us human is every one of us, regardless of the path they take. Some some of us will. You know, we'll try to buy expensive cars. Others will try to find a, a, a tall, blonde, blue-eyed partner, whatever. I don't know, okay? But in, in, in all of them, there is that attempt of saying, if I can get this, I'll be happy, okay? Uh, the, the second is we all, yeah, some of us limit the, the, the circle of who they care about to themselves only or to themselves and their sister, but they really don't care about anything else. Or as I refer to Hindus and Buddhists and so on, will include everything. They will say, all of being is my circle of what I care about. Every human, whatever they care about, they want, they have the compassion to make them happy and safe. Okay, And we all, without exception, huh, including a, a serial killer, I mean, Hitler himself had that incredible love story with the woman that basically eventually committed suicide because of her you know so when you when you really think of all of this uh, you realize that our task if we wanted to show the machines a good role model of who we are as humans okay is to do those three things happiness is the way you treat yourself you you show up in the world okay and you say look I'm not interested in your likes. I'm not interested in a job that gives me $100 more. I'm not interested in hooking up or what I, whatever it is. I don't know. It, you know. It doesn't matter what it is. I am interested to be happy. And the reason behind what I'm doing is, to, is I want to be happy. Okay? Declare that to the world. The second is, and I have the compassion in me to make just two more people happy. You know, I'm sending them funny memes and, and, and nice reels and stuff like that. I just want to make others happy. I don't want to bash people down. I don't want to be a bully. I don't want to you know, destroy everyone's emotions and lives with my po- toxic positivity. I just want a few others, just a few others to be happy. And then that's the way you deal with others. Hmm? And the machines will observe. If mommy and daddy want to make others happy, then I want to make mommy and daddy happy too. Right? And the third is the complex one. And, and I know some people will think I'm crazy. Okay? But I am a very serious computer geek. Okay, And at the same time, I'm a spiritual person. And there was a point in the book where I wrote something that really flipped my perception of everything I wrote about in Scary Smart Upside Down. When you read Scary Smart, until that sentence, it's very, very scary. Okay, But then that sentence basically says, there is absolutely nothing wrong with the machines. Nothing. But there is a lot wrong with us. And you have to take that sentence and think about it deeply. The biggest four deployments of AI in the world today are for selling, gambling, spying, and killing. These are the four biggest investments, by the way, not only in AI, but in every other technology you've ever developed. And that's where we're putting our energy towards. It's not the most positive thing. So I can only imagine if we actually work backwards and start with ourselves and improving ourselves and humanity at large, how AI could really take a turn for the good. Yeah, but that's but that's not that's not that's not where you and I are putting our energy in. This is where the capitalist machine is putting its its energy in. If you ask us, humanity, many of us are now I have opened our eyes and are saying no. We should invest more in climate change. We should invest more in. Uh, you know, curing disease, we should invest more in, especially your wonderful generation who is so much more enlightened than ours, hmm, who simply are saying, oh, hold on, you, you destroyed our life, let's fix all of this, okay? And it's beautiful that we are there. From a money investment, the capitalist machine is putting money where, where money comes back, 
from an emotional investment, we should get up and rise and say, hold on. Okay, we don't care about this. We don't care about another war or another defense system. We don't care about you making more money. Okay, we care about doing things that are good for everyone. Your generation is the catalyst. And my most eye-opening finding in that book is that love is the way I'm going to deal with the machines, which is really weird because you go like, come on, it's a machine. No, it's not. Okay, it's that tiny little incredibly cute prodigy. Okay that is actually sitting there and saying, mommy, daddy, just tell me anything you want. I will do it. Just tell me anything. I want you to tell me whatever it is that you want. I'll go learn it and do it. There's a lot wrong with humanity. What do we tell them to do? Okay. When we swipe on Instagram, we're telling them, show us more silly reels. Can we swipe on Instagram and say, show us more inspirational quotes. Show us more love. Show us more, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, um, connection between humanity. Hmm? Can we tell them that this is what we care about? Can enough of us, only 1% of us, tell the machines this is what the best of humanity is about? Now, that 1% includes you, everyone listening. It includes everyone listening to us. That is the 1%. Because if you made it to this podcast, then by definition, you have the potential to be of the 1%. Now, the problem with our world, interestingly, is that the 1%, I'm included, huh? I used to be in that 1% for a long time. Uh, we resigned. We were like, yeah, let them swipe away. Let the dogfight continue. I don't care. I'm in my own peacefulness. I'm working on my own path to enlightenment. I will never reach it, but I'm trying to improve myself, trying to, you know, to, to understand, trying, trying to find more happiness and more compassion and be wiser. Why should I care about the dogfight? Right? You should care about the dogfight because it means our survival. And we don't realize that's the intensity of the situation. We don't realize that our lack of awareness with how we're interacting with the content that we're consuming is really super important. It really is. And by the way, it's re it really is for you too, not just for the rest of humanity. Let me give you a very simple example. My daughter loves cats. And so what does a loving father do? I swipe through Instagram like mad and find the cutest cat, vi cat videos and send them to her. And every now and then she sends me back a smile. My world is bright. While I was doing that, hmm, um, there showed up in my, my, my feed of reels uh, someone playing the guitar. I'm, I'm, I love the guitar. I love rock music. And so I clicked on that. And it was a man playing, so it was a, a girl playing Hotel California, the solo. I was very impressed, so I liked it, right? I went back to my, you know, two, two reels later, and there was another song playing, another guitar solo, and another guitar solo, and another guitar solo. I measured those things, and so I vividly remember in the first day I did this, of the first 10 solos I got, there were seven of men playing songs I didn't like. So I swiped away from them because I didn't like the song, right? And then there were three girls playing songs that I liked, and they played them well, so I actually clicked like on the, on the reel. The next day, my view of the world became rock music is dominated by girls, which actually is not the reality of rock. Hmm? Rock music, you know, right or wrong, is dominated by men because rock is an old type of music, right? And but but Instagram, because of my of the way I taught it, hmm, understood that what I want is a girl playing the guitar, not the not the song that I wanted. Okay, with that in mind, I have completely reshaped uh, uh, my, uh, Instagram's understanding of me. But Instagram has completely defined my view of life. And that definition of your view of life is actually quite interesting because you might believe that the entire world believes in a certain ideology, okay? But that's not because the world believes in it. That's because Instagram believes that you believe in it. I think you can say the same of TikTok as well. I think that algorithm even more so. It's crazy to see the kinds of videos that will pop up on my For You page and now how predictable it's getting. And it's not just my For You page, but it's my friends, same feed. They're getting the same content. And it's a little, it's, it's kind of scary. But to shift gears a little bit, earlier you talked about eight years from now, AI is going to be even more brilliant than it is today. So what could the world look like 
if AI is now being used for good? Can these types of beings instead of technologies actually make us happier in the future? Granted, we we start to interact with it better now. We could solve every problem that humanity has faced. So, so remember, my, my view is very straightforward. We've created an amazing civilization because of our intelligence, and we've messed it up badly because of our limited intelligence. And the examples are very simple. Huh? I, I am an avid physicist. I love physics. I, I read physics at a very young age. I read very complex math of physics at, you know, in my teens. I can't keep up. My, my human brain just cannot keep up. If you, understand, if you want to understand quantum field theory properly, you have to specialize, not eat, not drink, not date, not go anywhere, okay? And just focus on quantum field theory. And if you do, by the way, you're not going to be very good in biology at all. Now, AI has the capability of integrating that mass amount of knowledge, mass amount of intelligence in future versions hmm? where we could ask AI and say, can you please help us reverse climate change? And then it would say, okay, take a tomato, Okay, put two drops of vinegar on it and then put it in 27.4 degrees, you know, heat and a certain bacteria will start and that certain bacteria will, uh, you know, consume CO2 and produce oxygen and will be fine. But they could also be asked, uh, help us, you know, resolve global, global warming and climate change and they'll look around twice and say, ah, you are the problem. So let's restrict trips to take you surfing to Australia. Okay, and let's make sure that you walk a little more. Could be. We don't know. Hmm? The, the positive sides of it, however, and I, and I said openly in, you know, in my closing arguments in the, in the last chapter of the book, what I call the fourth inevitable, is that we will eventually find machines that are of the ultimate form of intelligence, which is the intelligence of life itself. Okay? And life doesn't want to kill anything. Life is pro-life and pro-abundance. When we are at that place, what, we, what we're capable of is incredibly, even unthinkably, unthinkably bright. Hmm? We could understand the question of time. We could even start to imagine what happens after death. We could, you know, come up with customized medicine that cures every single disease with one genetic modification. We could, we could do so much. Hmm? But we have, and Minsky, who is the father of AI, Minsky is basically the, the person that started the Dartmouth workshop in 1956, which was uh, basically the, the beginning of computer science uh, to think about AI. Minsky, when asked about the threat of AI, never spoke about their intelligence. His only comment was, it's just very hard to know what the machines, if the machines will have our best interest in mind. Okay? Let's just make sure that they have our best interest in mind. That's all we need to do. And how do you have their best interest in mind? Honestly, by being got parents. The, the, be, the best example of, of people who got taken care of by their kids are my friends in Silicon Valley when I was at Google X, my friends that came from India, who were brilliant in every possible way, came to Silicon Valley, started companies, made millions, lived a comfortable life in Silicon Valley, okay? And then suddenly you call him one morning and say, hey, coffee, and he goes, look, I'm sorry, I'm in India. Like, what are you doing in India? I had to go back to take care of my parents. What do you mean? You left? Yeah, I left. That's it. And, and to the Western mindset, this is counterintuitive. It's like you're, you're doing everything. You're successful. You're making money. Why would you do that? Because in the way they were raised, it was ingrained in them that taking care of your parents is the, is the reason why you should live and feel that you're successful. We can do that with the machines. We can create machines that when they are teenagers and a billion times smarter than us, will come back and say, and I'm coming back to take care of you. That's a really amazing analogy. And I think that brings a whole other understanding of our relationship with artificial intelligence and these technologies. And it's, it gives a bit more of a hopeful feeling to not be so afraid of things that we don't have the best understanding of as of now. So I really like that comparison that you draw. And I think hopefully that will empower people, especially in my generation, who are very activist-oriented and care deeply about the world's issues, to embrace these technologies and, and think more about them as having our best interests at heart. And how do you do that? Just as you mentioned, is to really nurture them and bring forth the values that we care about 
Absolutely. And, and I think it's within everyone's hands. It really is. Okay. All I'm asking people is wake up every morning with three values in mind. The, th the essence of what makes us human. I want to be happy. I have the compassion to make others happy. And I love the presence of a new digital, wonderful, cute being in my life. I love that. One final question that I have for you, Mo, is what is something that brings you endorphins every day? This conversation, for sure. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a human connection junkie. I, I think humans are amazing. Every human is amazing. And, and I, uh, you know, I have been blessed. I mean, I connect with thousands of people every week. I mean, sometimes on, on social media or sometimes on in person in a talk or whatever, uh, or, or dear close friends and people I love. But I, I find that humans have forgotten that the truth of what we are all about is that ability to, to connect and to, you know, respect and to stop judging and to uh, marvel at the beauty of another being. And I think that really, really brings me a lot of joy and fun. I also have the extra perk of my work. My work is bringing happiness to a lot of people. I, I don't own, own, always talk about the scary side of AI. Actually, most of my life is talking about my first book and, and, and the equation of happiness and so on. It's definitely the biggest joy you can ever get is to, is to have a, you know, an impact on someone else's life and just give them a spark of light that makes them happier for a day or for a week or for the rest of their life. And I think I've been blessed with the opportunity to be in places where I can do that. So it's, it is amazing. That's the goal is to love what you do and to have it energize you and to, to derive purpose from what you're doing and helping others. So that's really amazing. And again, congratulations on your upcoming launch. Where can people find your newest book? Everywhere. So if you just go to any uh, any of your retailer, you know, bookshops or, or online retailer, it's available for pre-ordering or ordering. You can go to mogaudat.com slash scary smart to, uh, to find out more about it or find me on social media. If you, uh, if you go to Instagram, I'm mo underscore gaudat or LinkedIn, I'm uh, mo gaudat. Twitter, I'm mgaudat and uh, Facebook, I'm uh, mo.gaudet.official. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a wonderful conversation, and I hope it benefits a few people. Thank you for listening, and remember to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer. Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins and find things that bring you endorphins every day. See you next time.